All right, everyone. <clears throat> so today, we're kind of uh, in between. We finished the, uh, the five main offerings there in Leviticus. And in between the next section, going to do a few other things. Uh, but today, I wanted to take the opportunity to speak with you about serving faithfully within your giftedness, okay? Uh, there's reasons for this, and uh, it's been kind of coming on for a long time. So one thing I want to just make very clear from the beginning, uh, this is not a rebuke, <laughs> okay? Now, you're probably saying, well, when you frame the front end of the message like that, does that mean it's going to be fiery? No, it's definitely not fiery. But it's also not a rebuke. It is, it is uh, an admonition. And it is an encouraging admonition at that. It's a reminder. Uh, typically in the, uh, in, a, in the American church, which is, as we said before, a very abnormal uh, segment of Christianity through the ages, the American church, the Western church, but specifically the American church, um, with regards to many things, but especially this when it comes to serving and to service so what I want to do today is just ask you to, to be very introspective, think inside yourself, okay? So if you are in Christ here today, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption, okay? You have a, you have a, a, a story of faith from when you met Jesus and where you are now. This is, this is most definitely for you, okay, regardless of, of, regardless of your past, as far as like what kind of a train wreck you've made of, uh, of your life up to this point. Uh, we've all, as God's people, stumbled in many ways, and uh, we've sometimes stumbled so bad that it looks irrecoverable, but God is good at making uh, glorious things out of our messes. I mean, He is, because that, you know... He is the author and finisher of our faith, and therefore, as the captain of our salvation, He's going to see us through to the end. All right? That does not mean that we won't encounter consequences to some of our actions. For example, if you are a very fair-skinned person and you go outside on the first warm, sunny day without a shirt, assuming you're a man, uh, okay, then, and you stay out like that all day, the consequence will be... You will be a lobster, all right? And, and everything is going to hurt you. Even the air will hurt you. Like myself, I don't get tan. I get more red, okay? Just more red. Dan, are you like that too? That's because we're Irish, okay? So I just want to say that, but this is something that we all have to contend with. So... Uh, in, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand. We're going to turn to read Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Set it up here. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, comma, for... Now, this is, the, this is the intent of it, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Did you see that? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Big old fat sentence there. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Now notice this part, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Did you hear that? By which every part does its share. Causes growth of the, edif- of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing when you consider that's all big one sentence. Okay. I mean, and then he went, <gasps> when he got done. <clears throat> but notice at the end of it, as he set off in the front, the, uh, the, the foundation principles of the church, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints. Those who hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, come by faith and repentance to the gospel, and then are born again, seal with the Holy Spirit of promise, serving in the church. All of that so that they won't be led astray. Those front end do the work of making sure they're taught correctly, equipping them, the saved, so that they can serve faithfully in the Lord's church and reach the world. And verse 16 says, by which every part does its share that it may cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself because of love. I mean, we do that because of love. So let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would take all of these things we're going to be looking at today and in the way that, that you, through your Holy Spirit, apply the, the word to our heart, do so to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, there, I'm going to touch on many things today that you could park and stay for a while. I'm not going to get into the minutia on a lot of this. My aim today is simply to discuss the issue of service in the church. Northridge has, has, has really been growing a lot, okay? And there are lots of good discussions that are coming out of that growth. There are also lots of needs that come out of that growth, Right? Um, I think of Brother Clint here. If, if, if Brother Clint was somehow blessed with a hundred head of, 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 of steer calves to butcher, he might have to go find more space, <laughs> okay? And he would have to secure the, the help to do all of that, assuming you took the job. You'd probably be like, no, I don't want it, okay? But, but when we're talking about the ministry of the church, you know, myself, I serve as an under-shepherd, of the church, the elders we serve as under shepherds of the church. The deacons serve in the same capacity in the area of service to meet the felt needs of the body. All right, and so when the church grows, when God when God sees fit to to entrust us with the stewardship of bringing His people to bear on the local church, whether it be if it's us at Northridge here or other churches in town that preach the gospel, when God sees to bring fit to, to grow his, the local church, then He's entrusting that stewardship of those needs to His people, okay? And on the front end of it, when we come to the, the pastors and the teachers, right, our job is to equip the saints to serve, so we need then to be able to say, okay, 
this is what's happening in this section of the church. This is the burden by perhaps these brethren or these, these sisters. And so then we bring to bear what we can do to help equip them to make sure that that ministry is built or established or sourced or supplied and whatever training and teaching that needs done on that. That's what we do. Oh, and also we're not exempt ourselves uh, in, in, in getting down in there with it. But that's our job. Mainly that's our job is to, to do that. And so as the church grows, it requires more space, much like a garden. How many of you ever expanded your garden? It, it happens, doesn't it? You get, you know, the worst thing in the world is an automatic planter for a gardener. Because it's so easy and fun to just plant. And you can just plant, and you can plant, and you can plant. And then you realize what you've done. Because that all needs maintained now. All, all 100 squash plants. You don't have enough neighbors to let you live to give them all that squash, right? But you wanted it, now you've got to maintain it. But in the sense of the church, God has entrusted uh, His under-shepherds with training these, the, the, the saints to do the work of ministry. The implication then is, in verse 12 of that same passage, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You're supposed to do the work of ministry. It's assumed that when you're saved, you'll serve. Not set, soak, and sour. Okay? That's putrefaction. Get it? The pew and the putrefaction. Putrefied, not petrified. Okay. Anyway. Frozen, chosen. No. Anyway. But the saints are to serve. That's what we do. Now, I'm going to fix to develop this, but we have been given gifts by which we serve. It's not capricious. You don't just go, wonder what I could do. Wonder, I'll just try that and see. There are gifts that, that God has, if you're in Christ, it's an absolute fact. You've been gifted spiritually to edify the body. It's just a fact. If you're in Jesus, that's what, that, if you're a human being, okay, it's a fact that you have a heart inside your chest that causes you to animate you, to give you will, to move, to, to live. To, to say you don't have a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit of God after you were saved is to say you don't have a heart in your chest as a human that's alive. You have a gift. So don't argue that point. And you are to use that gift. And that stewardship of that gift, that's what we're going to stand before Christ with and give an account for. So let's develop this a bit. Here's the question then. Will God hold me accountable for the gifts He has given me? That's a good question. It's a very good question. You know, I've, I've, this isn't going to be like uh, Washington politics where all they do is ask questions. There's actually answers here. Will God hold me accountable for the gifts He has given me? So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says... As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. So, there's your first part of your answer. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. And then it says, as good stewards. So, it, it just keeps getting worse in a positive way by accountability before God as it pertains to our giftedness. So, each one has received one. 
or two or five or however many. And we're supposed to minister it to one another and as good stewards. And we're going to give an account for that because stewards must give an account, as we'll see. But this, this as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There's multiple graces at play here of God when He gives His body. If anyone speaks, then, uh, Peter writes, let him speak as to the oracles of God. If anyone, then that, that would be for those who perhaps have the, the, uh, more of the gifting, like what I'm doing here, or, or teaching, or whatever. You, 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 you use your gift in, in that uh, heralding of the kerygma, if you will, of, of the gospel. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. So now we're getting into things of felt needs. Uh, someone's upset and hurting. You're, you're the kind that you have tons of mercy. All right, You're drawn to people for them to be able to bring comfort to them. You go to them and you do it with the ability which God supplies. And I think that is not coincidental in any way uh, that God put that on the front end of that part because preaching is easy. Okay, Teaching is easy. I mean, it really is. But when you sit next to someone who has this huge problem that is sad and awful, you hear of abuse, you hear it by family members, you hear of the years of rejection, and this person is, is weeping or just uh, despondent, and they don't even know if there's hope, and you walk with them, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of understanding. Because they can bite you, okay? And your job as a minister is, is to, to be present in that gift of mercy that you've been given. Now, it's not simply isolated to those with just gifts of mercy, as we're all called to minister to one another. But there are those who, who do very well in those times of mercy. Oftentimes, that's coupled with counseling. You have the ability to, to, to speak truth into people's lives in a way that they can receive it okay others are more like ball bats and they don't really need to be in counseling ministry they're they're more what we might call the the prophet in the sense of of uh, forth telling you know thus says the lord don't do that no <laughs> but with mercy that's what happens and then it says uh that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that's the purpose of the service in the church. You follow? Is to glorify God through Jesus Christ, to whom being belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Uh, we're not waiting for Jesus to have dominion. He has dominion. But what we're saying, what the, what the Scripture is bringing out is, we have every reason to be very serious about this issue of our gifting because we have a sovereign that we serve who has dominion that we are to bring glory to and the way that he desires, one of the ways, one of the chief ways that he desires for us to bring him glory is through the way we serve one another in the body. Now, what if I don't do that? So, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 then. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Are you faithful in your stewardship of your gifting? Don't even say for a second, well, because here's the problem in the church. Uh, 
preaching gifts and teaching gifts and, and public speaking kind of gifts or music in fr- on the on the you know up in front of that usually gets all of the attention. And again, I wanted to say this is probably the easiest of them all. Okay, uh, but getting down into the mud and the muck of with people, or maybe you're the type, and we have several in this church, many actually who would rather not be noticed. And not that just because you're in a public gifting part doesn't mean you want to be noticed because most people in the public gifting part are introverts masquerading as extroverts, like myself, okay? Uh, It's like a switch flips, and then after it's over, I just melt. That's the problem. But anyway, uh, there are others that they just, they're content. They want to just be in the background. They love to serve, and you might find them in the bathrooms picking up the paper towels, you might see them in the kitchen just cleaning stuff up. You might see them out on the grounds pulling weeds. Uh, you might see them just calling people randomly, checking on who they are. They, that's just how they want to, that's, that's how God's made them to serve. Um, none is better than the other. It's all needed. Uh, for example, would you miss your pinky toes on your foot if they were gone? I'm thinking it's going to mess with balance and, of course, aesthetics. Right. Uh, and of course, we have if we didn't have thumbs, well, you can imagine trying to eat M&Ms. <laughs> How would you do that? Well, it'd be like chopsticks every day, wouldn't it? Right. Sorry. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> but we do have to give a stewardship for our gifting. So are you using are you using your gift? Do you think in the Levitical caste in the Old Testament was the tent peg holders thought of any less than those who carried the curtains? What about the one Levite? I got this one peg. This is all I do. I, 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 I put it in that one ring every single time. Who cares if I don't? I don't care today. I'm not going to do it. And then here comes a wind. And suddenly that curtain's just flying. And they're going to say, where's Joe Bob with his tent stake? I don't think that's what they named Levites. But if they were from Oklahoma, they probably were. Okay. I didn't think y'all even notice. That's what he'd say. Okay. They say, pound it in the ground, son. And so he'd go over and he'd pound it down. Because it matters. And so what we want and what God wants is for you with your gifting to serve and to step up and make a showing. That's southern talk for get at it. Well, that's a euphemism too. To, be, to use your spiritual gift. Faithfully. I don't think that God ever intended that the under shepherds have to pull it out. Just You know what one of the hardest things to do in this church is? This is a perfect illustration. Putting the baptistry together, putting the liner down on that thing, it's like skinning a catfish in reverse, okay, if you've ever done that. You've got to pull it little by little, and you just want it to go on there, right? Why do you have to work at it so hard? But thats I don't think that's how it should be when under-shepherds have to get people in the church, the saints, to serve. I don't think we should have to pull and tug and 
coerce and get pliers on it and maybe a pry bar, maybe try shock therapy or something, you know. But we just shouldn't have to do that because if you think about it, the more difficult that you resist, think about what you're doing in your walk with God on a personal level. You have a stewardship that you're saying no, which we're about to see. Consider the talents, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25. Oh, it would help if I was in 25. There it is. So Jesus is uh, is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He's speaking in parables. This one is also connected to the, 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 virgin, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. But he says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. So there's, there's three servants. And then he said, uh, he did this to each according to his own ability in verse 15. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, verse 19, those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so in verse 20, so he who received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five. Look, I have gained five more. Verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So far, so good. Okay. Then, dun, 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 right. He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. What an indifferent statement, by the way. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from, whom, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a lot going on here. A lot going on here. And like I said, I, I'm not prepared to get into all of it. Except you can see a lot of parallels with perhaps this is a, a story about somebody like Jesus is going to go away. He's entrusting the kingdom to his people, to his servants. We're to go out and invest that gospel which he's given us, sow that gospel seed. Uh, but he's going to come again, and, and, and there's going to be an accounting that we have to give. 
But we all know that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. There are three servants, one of which decided to take what he had been entrusted with and just bury it in the ground. We know that's very clear. Okay, that's very clear. As servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, to not use our gifts is equivalent to burying it in the sand, in the ground. Now, there's a parallel to this in Luke 19, the parable of the Minas. Very similar parable, same kind of thing. One of them did this. Now, to go further, what are the consequences of this kind of attitude of the one servant burying his talent in the ground? What are the consequences? We're speaking about the church here, okay, today. And I just put the answer up here on the screen. The consequences to the church are absolutely nothing. And literally, that means absolutely nothing. If you bury your talent in the sand as a servant, the impact on the church will be absolutely nothing. When we fail to use our gifts for edifying of the body, we see nothing happen. Because if we go back to Ephesians, it says for the growth of the body. Right? Remember that? We see growth of the body. If you fail to use your gifts, you see nothing happen. If you're going to start a garden this year and you had to start your pepper seeds, too bad for you. But anyway, if you, if you have, and like I've done before, perhaps you forgot to actually apply the seed because you got lost. That's why you should never cover them until you're done. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and then suddenly there's nothing growing there. Why is that? There's nothing there to grow. It, it has nothing. There's no seed. It's not even in there. So if you don't take your gift and you don't use it in the church and you times that, if you times the you times 20% or 30% or more in the church, what do you get for the church? Nothing. Barrenness, sparseness like my hair. Okay, that's what you get. Nothing. Now, does nothing please God? Is God ever doing nothing? No. No, nothing does not exist with with God. There's always something going on. And what does that say for you? If you have this gifting inside you and you're not ministering it to the body as you're supposed to, do you realize what you're doing? You're going to have to answer for all of that. It's like an audit, except worse. So, that's the church. Nothing happens. In your life, however, it's a different outcome. According to the parable, the servant's master was greatly displeased to the point of casting him out after having stripped him of his one talent, which brings some problems to the text. Now, for my theologian friends here, depending, there's a, I don't, we are wondering, well, was the, was the servant not a Christian? Or was the servant, does he typify a believer? Is he a non-believer? It just depends on who you read. Here's what I see. I'm going to opt for the middle. The text seems to indicate that this servant was either a false servant who really didn't care about his master because he spoke really bad of him when compared to the others, or he was simply too self-absorbed to care. Whichever it goes, and then of course if you add the outer darkness part, it would kind of tend to lead you to believe that he wasn't really a true servant. 
But then there's the problem of the fact that he's referred to as a servant. And then there's also the issue that he refers to his master as Lord. And then there's the problem that his Lord actually gave him a stewardship. Because if you're a false convert, you don't have any of those things. I don't know. But here's what we do know. You can be a false convert, testify to the things of God and not know Him at all, be lost in your sin and split hell wide open when you die. You can also be a self-absorbed Christian that's too too inebriated with your own life, too narcissistic, too self-absorbed, so that the gifting that God gives you, you don't use because it doesn't fit into your time schedule. In which case, you're going to have to give an account to your Lord when you die. (laughs) Okay? So... Whether or not the guy is a servant truly or not, it's immaterial for right now. We know that God intends us to use what he's given us. Amen? It's what we can clearly see that from this parable, right? So, this question then. Can a believer lose their gifts if not used? And I don't believe you can, no. Mm-mm. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 is talking a lot about the election of Israel. Uh, in so doing, it talks about the election of Gentiles because of Israel's disobedience. But then God says in relation to Israel, in relation to the coming uh, remnant of revival that will happen to them, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, while that primarily may may talk of their justification as a nation. I do believe also that there, there are strong implications that it applies to all of God's gifts. It's a statement, a declarative statement. All of God's gifts are irrevocable. The callings and gifts that He gives us are irrevocable. You do not lose them, which is why what I'm about to say matters a lot. Can a believer lose their gifts if not used? No. But I do believe you will suffer the consequences of not losing those by loss of joy, lack of fulfillment in your Christian life. Look, things of this world will never, ever be able to satisfy you like the Lord your God can satisfy you. Ever. It will never. So, campers and trailers and and, and, and boats and and stuff and land and farms and oscillating tractors that burn 300 gallons an hour can never compensate for the satisfaction of serving the Lord your God. Ever. And so when you see a Christian that is generally miserable, there's sometimes there's several things at play. Generally, your first layer of misery begins. They do not have a consistent practice devotional life with the Lord, okay? And and two, with that, if they do, it's very mechanical, very dry, like reading the back of the cereal box. I used to to eat cereal a lot as a kid. That's why I had to go see Dr. Fry, who used a hook to deaden your mouth. It was a horrible... Anyway, Captain Crunch, yeah, it was all that. Anyway, uh... You read the back of the cereal box, and it means nothing. You're just reading it because you, you, this is what you do. There's no... Is it possible to deceive yourself every day when you're actually reading the Scripture? Yes, 
Not on the scripture's part, but on your lack of follow-through. So there's that layer of, of despondency and dissatisfaction, Lord, because you're not, you're not doing right with your consistent morning devotional with the, with the Lord. And second, one that's not talked about very often is what are you're serving in your gifts to the Lord. The, the church, the body of Christ, Minister to one another. When you don't do that, do you realize you're completely, intentionally, willfully being disobedient to the commands of your Lord? You're taking your mina or your talent and you are burying it in the sand. You are burying it. And you're saying, Lord, it's just, you know, it's too hard. When you minister to people, they're dirty. They're mean. They scratch. And, and Lord, when, when you preach to people, they criticize and critique. They point out all your typos. Lord, it's just hard. So I just, you know, I have your spirit. I'm saved. I'm good. No. That is wrong. And the church suffers greatly. God does gift you for a reason. First, in salvation, in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God. Oh, and it's irrevocable. It's beautiful, isn't it, how it all ties together? And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. Second, in sanctification, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So part of your sanctification, a big, large chunk of your sanctification, is individually serving as the Spirit works in your life with the gifts he gave you. And what is that? Well, I don't know. I think it's interesting when we go through the new members class to see what all spiritual gifts are revealed on the spiritual gift inventory. And sometimes people are very surprised. And I always take a moment to make fun. Not really. It's lighthearted. I don't make fun in a negative way. But I always like to give the administrative people a hard time because I have no administrative ability at all. Do I, Kim? No, I do not. Okay, I do not even break the... I don't even show up on there. Okay, they don't have anything that negative for me. But the ones that do have it all color-coded in with colored pencils and graphs, and it's just... But there are, man, shows up on giving and mercies and teaching, and uh, sometimes there's, depending on what you take, leadership. or It could be, there's any number of things that God does when you take a spiritual gift inventory just to find out kind of where you are, because this may be the first time you've ever, I learned I got a spiritual gift today. Never thought about it. How, you, how do you even look into that? Well, come take a test. I mean, that's a place to start. Ask God. Why don't you ask God, Lord, what have you given me to do? Because I know you give me something. What, what am I? What do I do? Make that a priority and a pursuit in your life. And, and you, it, it, you know, you'll always typically have one that may rise to the top or one or two that, that tie and they're not exclusive to just, you may have others, but you have your gifts. Some you may not find out till later that are exposed to you. 
like wow I did not know that that I that that I could do that I could do that <laughs> right I did not know but as God grows you in sanctification he's going to grow your responsibility and the gifts that you're that he can use you with okay there's a great responsibility that comes from using that gifting so don't don't mess up don't uh, let's see don't frustrate your sanctification by setting on your gifts don't do that and don't think for a second that your gift may not be as popular as someone else's because it is it's needed just case in point every single time that serving window in there is empty I hear about it nobody brought food today it's like a famine there's no joy it's just empty here Uh huh. there's a sign up sheet for that well I thought somebody would do it but nobody did it so there's a story I think right the whole story about nobody somebody and anybody right it was a family circle thing that was, used to be a column back in the paper when they put funnies in it. Okay. Oh, by the way, can I just stop here and say, I heard this years ago. There are two kinds of availability anywhere in life, but we'll talk about the church. Useful and useless. Two kinds of availability. You ever heard this before? Useful and useless. Useful availability. Lord, I will do what you want me to do, and I'm showing up for it. I'm going to do that. I am going to ask you what my gifts are. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to pray to you. To you. And then once you give me a, even a beeline on one, I'm going to inject myself with it or find someone that's doing it. I'm going to join up with them and learn how to do it too. And then I'm going to start doing it. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Useless availability. Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. As long as it's not dealing with people, getting up in front of people, or having to hear sob stories all the time. Oh, also, as long as it's not involving weekends and holidays, and as long as the people that I help are like me. That's useless availability. Our responsibility to live faithfully then. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, so... Our goal is to please him. Amen? For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Really? That means, well, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We will give an account for it as Christ's servants. Well, you gave me five, Lord. I've done my best, made five more. I get, you gave me two. I, get, I got two more. I heard one old preacher say, God thinks of us kind of like motors. Tom, you'll like this one. Some of you are V8s. Some of you are six cylinders, and some of you got four. God doesn't care how many cylinders you've got as long as you're firing on each one. Right? <laughs> okay? And that's what we have to do. It's just the faithfulness of it. Because we understand our fearful, our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. As Paul is writing and just encouraging them. In verse 14 and 15 he goes on to say. Either way we do all this. Christ's love controls us. 
Christ's love controls us. And it seems like, if I recall correctly, back in our, our, our Ephesians chapter, it says that we do this for the edifying of itself in love, for the body, in love, because the love of Christ compels us. We believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He's all is obviously not referring to every single human on the earth. That would be universalism. But all of the body of Christ. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Did you see that? This is NLT. I like the way they put it. That you no longer live for yourself. And that's exactly the problem. Not using the chief reason that you do not use your spiritual gift is because you live for yourself. When I don't use mine, I live for me. Me, mine, and my. Okay? That's all for me. What can I do for me? And that's not the Christian life because it says this new life means that we no longer live for ourselves. Instead, we're supposed to live for Christ who died because he was raised for us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work of ministry. He gave us, he blessed us with the church to be that feet and hands by which that ministry happens from. Do you want to imagine what it looks like for churches to be non-existent? Just go look at large swaths of Europe and watch and look and see at the godlessness that ensues. It is really bad when anthropologists even begin to say, if the church doesn't have, or political scientists too, if the church doesn't experience historical revival, we're all toast. The world may hate us, and it does, but on one hand, and this is in the mystery of God, I think, they're looking for credibility in us. They're looking for proof of life. What is your gift? Use it. Because you're going to have to answer for it if you don't. 2 Timothy 2.4, we're almost done. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who do you serve? Who's your commanding officer? Be diligent, be zealous or eager to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In 1 Peter 4, as we just said well ago, in verse 10, the first part of it, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. It could not be any more clear. We are to use our spiritual gifts. And as Northridge grows, that means new deacons. It means new elders. Remember how we started on the front? and we, It means new teachers. It means new workers. And the, the children's department needs new workers. We've got all these kids now. We need all these workers. Well, we've had it the other way for a while, too. Yeah. We didn't know whether we should buy a tombstone pizza to feed everybody because it was also going so well or a headstone. Okay. So we need... We need help. We need workers. We need you to, we don't, my job, JT's job, the elder's job, it isn't to come to you and say, hey, we got an idea for you. We'd like for you to do this and build this ministry. We think that would fit in real nice with our idea. No. God forbid. 
If you come and join this church as a covenanting member, you're bringing your spiritual gift to the table. And if it's any of those, those gifts that God gives, you need to be coming to us and saying, I, I have a burden for this. I need to do this. How do I get involved in this? This is what I want to do. And we'd be like, wow, do you believe what happened? Someone actually asked to serve. We didn't even have to ask. Man, that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, I won't go into Old Testament examples because I'm always long-winded, but uh, it's really good. You should read it. So Decatur Christian, I will finish with this. This is funny. I all remember this. Decatur Christian wrote, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, but don't ask me to sing in the choir. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass, but don't ask me to teach girls and boys, dear Lord. I'd rather just stay in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I yearn for the kingdom to thrive. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to tithe. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. Oh, wow. What a strange response. <laughs> but yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so it's really simply resolved, though, isn't it? You just, you just do the right things. You just do. Here it is. If it brings you closer to God, do it. If it takes you farther away, don't do it. Keep track of your time, right? You have a stewardship of faith. Invest it for the kingdom. Now, as I said before, I was talking to Christians. If you're a non-Christian, you don't have any of this. You have no stewardship. The Bible says you're under condemnation, the condemnation of God's almighty wrath that actually extends right straight from his holiness. You need a covering. You need to be forgiven. Christ came for you, died for your sins, took your sin debt, nailed it to the cross. You, by virtue of his sacrifice, can be made right, justified before God as if you had never sinned, but you must come in faith and repentance, confessing your sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved. JT's going to play and sing a bit. The altar is open. Whatever you need to do, take issue.